0: had a couple taquitos yesterday, and those were fine. <laughs> what is a taquito? We're a taquito. It's uh, <laughs> it's like ground beef and some veggies and a corn tortilla that's rolled up. And you buy them in bulk, frozen. Throw a them burrito. In the oven. No. You just described no, a bur- No, because a burrito is a flour tortilla. So so this, and they're smaller. To, to, yeah, they're very thin. They're like fingers. Taquito?
1: Taquito? Taquito,
2: yeah. The next time you're in a 7-Eleven... Look at I, the.
1: I love Seven Eleven.
2: They no, they normally have takitos.
1: Yes, those are not this, the taquitos I,
0: I would recommend. <laughs> I
1: have such a strange relationship with my Sev. Like I I love my Sev and um I have oh, the you app. Sev? Oh yeah, and I have my app, and and like I'm pretty sure that I'm the only one that that uses the app at the Sev. Um, <laughs> so like i'll go in and i'll pull up my barcode and because i you know and then the, the the people behind the register just like look at me baffled and um and then so you accumulate points and um so i could get them to scan it and now they i mean they've known me forever but you know they've now know me as the guy in addition to all the other ways in which they know me but the guy with with the app <laughs> right. So you can kind of see them like, oh, because it's always a thing. It doesn't work seamlessly. But I feel as if I usually have to wait in line behind like people who are buying those tickets, those things, the tickets that, they, you know, the lottery. the lottery or whatever it is. Yeah. And and that goes on for like a day and a half. Like people are like, oh, give me three of the 14s and six of the nines and let me scratch this with my nickel. And then, oh, I've got a dollar. I'll take four. And I'm sitting there just wanting to buy my, you know, not whatever a taquito is, um, and <laughs> uh, and then so now I feel like, well, if I have to sit there and suffer through X number of hours of watching someone pay their weird, you know, governmental lotto tax, um, I can get my app that they they hit me with all the time. So they, now I'm the guy with the app. And so I'm very, I'm very diligent with it. And like, I know my reward cycle. I know like when I get 800 points, that entitles me to a free bag of Sev chips, which are delicious, by the way, like in terms of like the spectrum of, of bagged potato chips, the Sev chips are not the worst. And so like I, so the other day I'm in there and. I, I forget what I was getting, but I was I looked at my app and I was like, Oh, I've achieved, you know, level one reward, which entitles me <laughs> to a sev chip. And so I go up to the thing and I and, and I give them my app. They scan the app and and then the guy charges me for the sev chips. And I was like, My man, the I this thing says I have this, this is supposed to be free. And it's like, no, you don't have enough points. And I said, yes, I do. He said, there's no way you can have enough points. You have to have at least 1,000 points to get a free bag of chips. So then I pulled up the thing, 800 chips, free bag. And then I was like, and he apologized. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, you don't have to be sorry. It's a confusing system. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, and, and then, um, so, but then we have a nice talk about that. And then I get a, a, a thing, an a email or a text or something from the SEV corporate and they're like, how was your experience? They give me a net promoter score thing, right? And I always respond. Like, so I, 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 I write a comment usually and, um, um, oh, and usually my comment is two lines. You should have one line for the people that want to buy the tickets and then one line for others. Like I think that would improve productivity, Matt. They should just have two two separate lines. Because those people sit there and play the tickets the whole time. Yes, when I'm just trying to buy my chips. That means having another right. person yeah. on the show. No, I I, but no, or or they could time it. There are there are ways around this. But it's it's an infuriating an infuriating system. But I, I love 7 Eleven. So what do you um, get
0: at 7 Eleven? I'm trying to imagine you. That's just not a place I mean, would imagine you.
1: You know what I get? Not the sushi. Not, sushi? No, <laughs> do they not have, some have sushi, sushi? No. You know what I did find at the Sev, um, where you couldn't find it anywhere else, because they were open. They were open through the whole quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, flour. Like you went, when, during that time when everyone was like, I know what I'll do, I'll bake bread. Um, it, and you just couldn't find flour for anything. The Sev, and they've got Sev branded flour too. <laughs> so it's like, oh, the Sev, and the Never seen that. knows where it's coming from. Yeah. But no, what I do, and I'm not, I'm not proud of this. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: but like, I have, like, there are times. See, I and I know how they've done it. It's all about MSG, right? Which I love. I love MSG, and and um, I've always loved MSG. And like, if you reverse engineer the most delicious snacks, the ones with the highest MSG quota or quotient or whatever amount. Is Cool Ranch Doritos, and so there will be a time. There is a time for me. That time is way too often. I'm a generally healthy eater, but like if I if I want to just have something really delicious, and and eat trash, Cool Ranch Doritos. And oftentimes the Sev will confusingly be like, Cool Ranch Doritos are like I'm I'm not that price sensitive to like I like if someone were to be like, Oh George, how much does a a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos cost, like I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know if it was like fifty cents or three dollars. Like I don't know. You know, you can afford it's, it's, to it's a buy a small... bag of Cool Ranch Doritos without thinking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not that price conscious Humble about like. Brag. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just not that price. Like I don't know what a price. I don't know what a bag. A small and, and they come in different and odd sizes or whatever. But so often Lucille. the Lucille. <laughs> I know, right? How much does a banana cost, Michael? Ten dollars. But, but no, but it's not. It's no, it's not that. It's like, oh, I have so much money, I can just buy all the Doritos I want. It's like, I I mean, okay. So how much? So you all tell me how much does a bag of Doritos cost? Two bucks.
2: Yeah, two two
1: fifty. Okay, what size? That's too much for a little one. Two fifty for a little one. I don't. Yeah. I know a big bag is like. Four bucks at the grocery store. That's too much money for a big bag. Like, how big is that bag? And that's the family the thing too.
2: No, like, yeah, like, the, yeah.
1: That's huge. Like, and no good comes of that. If I have a family bag of Doritos in my house, I will eat the entire family bag of Doritos in one setting because of the MSG. Because it's like, oh, there's
2: no way that the small ones cost less than ninety nine cents.
1: Well,
0: good, but See? there's there's snack size and then there's yeah. like the double serving yeah. bags.
2: Yeah, I think the snack size. I don't think is under ninety nine cents. I don't think I you think can get are, anything for. Yeah,
1: you can, and because at the Sev, what, with the app? S- with not just with the app, they will have these strange promotions on, and they're really excruciatingly explicit, uh, uh, um, uh, specific, where it's like if you buy. This particular size of this particular flavor, you know, and it's like 11.8 ounces versus 12.4. Like you have to bring your drug weighing scale to the Sev to figure out how much the, the you know, but if you get it just right, you can buy one and get one free. But you never know. And 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 the, I just feel so bad for the poor employees because it's ultra specific. It's like it has to be this exact size. It has to be like flaming hot ranch varietal or whatever, you know. So, the, like hunting through the the bags, like is this the one, you know? And and uh you know, they they don't enjoy me typically coming into the sev.
0: I, I just want to reassure you that it is not elitist to say you can go in and buy a bag of cool ranch Doritos <laughs> without
1: thinking about the price.
0: That's okay. That's. <gasps> it's true
1: good <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm not trying to be that guy's like i don't know it doesn't matter like i'm super price sensitive to stuff that's one of the reasons you know but like i it's hard to know because like if i go down to my other grocery store um then like doritos they're like nine dollars or something like it doesn't seem any and then and then my other favorite favorite chain store is cvs which I also have an app for. And like, apparently CVS has just like massively overstocked on certain items. Cause you know, like pistachios are expensive as a rule. Like I love pistachios. And like when I'm, when I'm in my better angels and not eating entire family size bags of MSG Doritos, um, I'll be like, no, I'm just going to have some pistachios. Cause apparently you can just eat as many pistachios as you want. And it's good for you. And, um, not true. And, i think it is true i think it's like what it's like avocados or something like you can eat you could just eat like 400 avocados in your body be like, yes i think you could i think it is i think there are no negative it's like water or something like you it's can't good have. fat,
2: but it's still a, a huge source of fat avocados yeah Even but that's water, good water if
0: you drink too much you will throw up
2: well like if yeah. sure
0: I mean, i'm not talking about like being ridiculous
1: you say 400
2: avocados yeah
1: Okay, like you you could, you could, you you probably
2: amount of pistachios.
1: (laughs) No, but you could probably eat 10 avocados in a day every day and not gain any weight.
2: Says the man that thinks eating an apple a day will make you fat.
1: It will. You've literally told
2: me an apple a day will make you fat, but apparently, I could eat 400 avocados, not
1: 400, but 10. Ten, I think. If you spaced okay. it out, if you had if you had two, like if you woke up at seven in the morning and had two avocados, and then at like eleven, C's, you know, um, you'd have two more avocados, and then lunch you'd have two avocados, and then well, an afternoon snack. This diet snack.
2: sounds horrible and but
1: you, filling. But, but you You'll also be malnourished pistachios. from all the other. Oh,
2: don't worry, Dan. If you need something different, you can eat an infinite number of pistachios.
1: It's true. And and but they're not cheap, right? So like, okay, all right. What does a bag of of pistachios cost?
2: Seven dollars. The yeah, like, meat, but, I know, because i have been buying them too. Yeah, I mean, that's what they cost here.
1: Canadian Canadian dollars, which no, which is a isn't real money, and B, no one knows what the conversion rate it's is. True. Seven
2: ninety nine for the smaller bag, nine ninety nine for something larger, and then it goes up to thirteen ninety nine for just the like, and it's not that much of a difference. Yeah.
1: Right, and it's that larger bag, and that's like fourteen dollars US around. But apparently, CVS has like pre-quarantine or something. They were like, bring us in all the pistachios because now they're like buy buy one bag of pistachios get fourteen bags free. Or something. Like they're just like throwing pistachios at you as you walk out, and and Pringles too. Like you can buy like buy one one. Um, one tennis can tube of Pringles get fourteen free.
0: But I think the biggest rip off. My CVS order is usually uh, dried apricots. And
1: why? What do you mean why? They're good. Uh, like I, it makes me, it make like I feel in the you back of my. You have to get the ones
0: that don't. There's 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 a cheap Turkish? version that has I don't know the brands, but there's a cheap version that has way too much added sugar and it's gross. And there's one that has it probably still has some added sugar, but not nearly as much. But it's like this little pouch, this little bag, nine bucks. It's wild. I yeah. Can- and it's, it's, I could eat that in one sitting and it's like 250 calories in the entire bag. And I
1: just paid 900,
2: nine bucks for that.
1: 900 cents. Yeah. I think those things are bad for you. I think that's, a, I think that's like old okay, well, school. It's definitely better than
2: Doritos. As a health, yeah.
1: No, I agree that Doritos are not great for you. I agree. I avocados a
2: day. You ha- you have lost any authority to give anyone dietary advice. Okay.
1: Well, all right. One avocado versus one of those bags of dried apricots.
0: Yeah. I don't want to eat an avocado by itself as a snack.
1: <laughs> you put some nutritional yeast on it.
2: <laughs> okay so as as riveting as it has been to hear all about george's snacking for 20 minutes i do want to know is this part of about, the
0: podcast or yeah
2: i don't know that'll be up to you to decide i want to know more about what it's like to be home what what it feels like in your neighborhood i mean for home. me it's not that <laughs> <laughs> right i forgot it's the george hour
1: i love uh <laughs> when i was
0: editing last week's episode which um oh, i should upload today we haven't i don't know i haven't even sent that to you guys oh my god i'm sorry i you.
2: just finished the show notes yesterday like I was uh, it's
0: it's, it's it's on me as well um i'll upload that and share it with you guys but we can put that today <laughs> the first i was i was editing it and like the first 10 minutes i was like this is just george talking about how he gets his mail <laughs> and how he mm-hmm. throws out all of the mm-hmm. uh, the flyers and i was like i yeah, I guess I keep this like it's good. <laughs> it's we talk about the R or, or not. We George talks about the ROI of of mailing. Now, flyers, normally, there's but...
2: an opening monologue. Today, it's about think- snacks.
0: I think George being a professor just has this natural like okay time to turn on go. Where Carly, you mm-hmm. and I kind of warm up a little bit. Let's true. And then it's and then we get in right around the fifteen minute mark. That's where the <laughs> magic happens. That's true. where that's where we we George has had his monologue and then yeah. he's talked about
1: We're his 7-Eleven seven eleven and yeah. MSG and then <laughs> I think the, I think the magic begins at minute at second one.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, you buy
1: I, buy the ticket, take the ride. <laughs> I think we what? need. I think. I think we need a thing. You know, like Marin has his WTFers and all that stuff. We need our our what's up Ian Ayers. What's up entrepreneurs? Artpreneurs. What's up E and artistas?
0: George, when I suggested that we had some type of dedicated intro, you you shut that down immediately. You're like, no, I like how we just do the the, uh, the we just do the conversation. No, but we can-
1: we could, but like when we do be like, cause I, I really, I really am excited about, um, I want, and we talked about this during the week, like I'm really excited about having like a Slack channel or whatever. Yes. And I want, I want people to, to feel like they're, they're ena or, um. I think um, Artpreneurs is fine. That's a Twitter handle anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, blah, blah. It, that's a hard one to get out of my mouth. I need like artistas or is, is it, uh, no sandinistas are art like something sandinistas San- well sandinistas is a great clash right i mean sand is a whole political thing with sandinistas but it, like we can't do that but um something istas, istos taquitos uh, ta- <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: taquitos i bet i'd like them like i don't eat meat but well, i bet i'd I, like I,
0: them they must do a vet, like a bean version uh Look in the frozen section. So what is it the
2: like thruster? being home, Dan? Tell us about what it's like to be back in your own space, what the neighborhood is like, what your apartment feels like. Does it feel good, different, the same?
0: Um, not the same, that's for sure. So I, I, I walked around and I had to go to my office to check on things. Um, it's when I was in Pennsylvania and then specifically like Republican County, Pennsylvania, um, people were disregarding masks quite a bit um or just like wearing them around the chin and i was just like uh oh, that's yeah. like that sucks that's that's just that's just the nature of the people around here and there's more space there so you know i would go on walks and not wear masks i wouldn't see anyone um but here you know you can't it, it's impossible to not end up within six feet of someone you know mm-hmm. every couple blocks but i'd say like 40 percent of people around here are not wearing masks uh, hmm. And that's wild to me. Yeah. That's um, And I worry a little bit that there's um, this kind of false sense of security that like, oh, we're in between waves or something. And yeah, it's totally. the second wave is coming, but it's not here yet. So go and party. And I've seen some videos of like bars in Manhattan, people just drinking outside. And it's like a block party to a level that there never would have been like pre-COVID, Pre-COVID because there right. were so many cars on the road. Um, so that's that's a little disappointing, um, and I, I don't really feel justified in saying disappointing because like, I've been here for the past three months and have lived through what everyone here has lived through, but um but it's very quiet it's very weird but i don't know yeah
2: are your neighbors around or did the people in your building did was there kind of a a mass exodus most people stayed behind
0: i mean people here have lived here for like 20 years um yeah so i'd say usually half the building is people that have lived here for a decade or so um but there's like 180 apartments in this building um it's uh, it's definitely quiet. I mean, it's only two people per elevator, and so it's an 18 floor building with only two elevators, and hmm. it's line. Yeah, it's good. What floor are you on? Eleven. Can oh, you take the stairs? That's too many stairs. <laughs> uh, I, I will take the stairs if um, I'm not carrying anything, or it's yeah. you know, tough when i to the grocery store. But it's a lot
2: sh- of stairs.
0: Yeah, but yeah. luckily, for whatever reason, I would have got myself in the schedule where I wake up unnecessarily early and so i can go out for the day before people are using the elevator um but it's fine it's cool it's quiet i just i I need to figure out kind of what's legal and what's not, especially with the Mm -hmm. office because i don't want to be working from my living room every day Uh, and there's my office is cleared out nearly completely Uh, i was on a wait list for my my private office for months um, and now there's private offices open throughout the building so Mm. Um, I don't know, but I've got a lot more time to myself now, and it's not like it was if I wasn't working. I kind of had to say hi to the parents and be sociable, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which I'm glad I had the time to. But now it's it's Mm -hmm. Dan time. Mm -hmm. Now I I make my own rules over here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're like you're like that you're like that uh, the place in Seattle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, except mine's
1: mine's just one
0: apartment the autonomous
1: zone uh-huh. in Seattle or, or, or there's, there's, I, when I think of it, I think of uh Christiana and, and, in, um, in Copenhagen where it's like an autonomous zone there. And you know, you know, it's interesting to watch that. The mask thing is um it's become a political statement too, which is so deeply. All right,
0: fine. But around here, I mean, there are, I'm sure there are a kind of closeted conservatives around here, but for the most part in Brooklyn, People lean left. And so it's it's when it's even left-leaning people yeah. that are just not wearing the mask. I think it's – I mean, I don't even live in, like, the young part of Brooklyn. Like, I live in one of the um, right, waspier neighborhoods, um, which I'm not psyched about. And it's, it's like, all young parents. And so I'm, I'm moving in a few months, and I'm excited to be amongst people my age again. But it's – there's no. Everyone has been through what just happened to New York, and yeah. you know, firsthand saw all the the disease and deaths, and they're like, "Ah, we're good now." Like now, that Arizona is the place that is getting all the new cases, we're fine. It's it's just not going to end up well, um, and we're going to be right back. You know, we're going to have uh, Groundhog Day in like yeah. September, October. It's going to be like March.
2: <clears throat> yep.
0: And then it's like, what do you do? It's like, do you publicly shame them? You know, it's because uh, it's it's dangerous, no. right? Yeah, and,
2: and not very effective either. To like, how do you <laughs> say anything that would resonate? They've made the choice, obviously.
1: That's that's interesting, and it's where I mean, I I had a glimmer. Of of um, optimism earlier this week, where I just felt like um, okay, this this tyranny of fear and oppression and racism and everything has gone too far and is backfiring, right? And people are now starting to go, wait, that's a that's a bridge too far. And so I took the approach, and I, I've done this forever. Like I think it's a good intellectual approach. To, if you've got a strong opinion, kind of put out your your posit, your your thought, your whatever. Um, for me, I typically do that in, in my Forbes column, or whatever. And it's it's sort of a I, I say straw they now, like a, a a straw man, straw person, straw whatever. Where it's like, okay, so blow it over. Here here's an idea. Here's a here's a concept. Blow it over. Tell me where I'm wrong. And and I've done that forever when writing about business or the music business, or whatever. And, and now I feel like we need to do that with politics so <clears throat> I've been very vocal on on social media in a kind of pro, in a intentionally sort of provocative sense of okay here you know and just a statement and and tell me where I'm wrong and but do it on my on don't direct message me you know do it on the comments whatever and it's so interesting to me and... in and. and probably if I'm honest, 80% of it is, is me just like, there's that just catharsis of vitriol of just like, I just feel better having screamed, but there's 20% of me that's kind of wanting to draw that out, like wanting to, to, to put something in, and, and I'm, I'm wide open by the way, for the reasoned response back. Like, like if somebody wants to come back at something that I put out um, and say, well, George, you're looking at this wrong, and here's some data or whatever to support it. I'm a- acutely aware of my blind spots, um, but it's not happening. Instead, what will happen is, is people will just sort of direct message me rather than, than, than respond in public. What has been somewhat gratifying is those people that, that do kind of take issue. Um, you know, I don't then have to say a thing. Other people who follow me just kind of swarm on them. And and so again, like with the mask and what do you say to people and how do you, I, I don't know, I'm really wrestling with the, I, I don't think being, and we've talked about this a lot on this, this podcast, I don't think being quiet at this point. I mean, I, I turn to people smarter than I, whether it's Desmond Tutu or Ellie Wiesel, you got to take a side. And if you're silent during these times, then you are the, on the side of the oppressor. So um I think there's a way to do it and I fail at this a lot there's a way to do it at a higher level of discourse and a lower level of discourse but but sometimes the the only appropriate kind of response is you know just that very direct um approach and then hoping that others will be direct back at you and talk it through it's
0: it's tough when you're wearing a mask though because the I think the usual way to show uh, displeasure with mm-hmm. someone else's behavior is more to make a face or just be stink like, eye. like well, yeah stink eye um, you can you still do that with a mask you could also be just like squinting into the sun you have no <laughs> my, my eyes are not that expressive um i go i go wide i go i go kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah i'm permanently squinty, squinty. um but you, you can't you can't really get that across the same way with a mask on so we're
2: well, I have a question for you guys. I don't know if you remember, but we each had a homework assignment talking about, you know, like other people's opinions and uh, broadening your own horizons. Did you guys listen to an episode of Joe Rogan's podcast?
0: <laughs> I, I was thinking about no, that you know an hour ago and uh, I was like, oh, I need to do that. And I just kept on we saying. We all said we to would. That. I know.
1: No, I I did. But until I read your amazing show notes, which I I think are the, you know, I think there's a lot of great things about this podcast, but I love those show notes so much. But you, you validated my suspicion.
2: Why? Because he had a tie to supplements. Mm
1: -hmm. I said that. I said that on the thing. Yeah, but that does
2: Okay, so you guys didn't do it. Well, I did the homework assignment, which, by the way, I don't know if they all are, but do you guys know that they're three hours? I spent two days and three hours of my life on what I thought was the shared homework assignment. But I have to say that, like, it's very easy for you, George, to just stay in your opinion. I went through the list of people and Uh, actually i think his most recent guest now is bill burr who i actually really like and probably would have been entertaining i didn't know most of his guests they are largely men but he had stephen dubner the host of freakonomics on there and i love that podcast and stephen dubner's work and the books and everything and it was interesting because i thought okay i know stephen dubner's voice um i don't mean like the sound the sound of his voice i know the things that I know where he kind of lays politically um, in terms of economic policy and all of these things. And so I thought maybe it would be interesting to hear the two of them talk. And there are times where you can tell that they are so different in so many ways, but they have a really great discussion. A really great discussion. Some of the things like, it's, it's clear that they're on opposite sides and they talk about like MMA fighting and UFC and stuff, which Stephen Dub- Dubner obviously like, just can't really wrap his head around, but they listen to each other. I think it's a good exercise to, to be more aware of how you listen to people and, and actually hearing them, not just being quiet and waiting for your turn to speak again. I have to say... I enjoyed the episode. It, it Two hours and 45 minutes is like a lot to ask of someone. But, and I will admit also at the beginning, like he does his own um, ads, you know? So like, you know, how some podcast people will be like, and this was brought to you guys. Yeah. And it's like, his energy is too high and he's swearing a lot. And I was just like, okay, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to get through this. But they talk about like religion, health, uh politics they, they talk about so many different things and at the end of it i i have to admit it was like and maybe again it's because i also liked who the guest was i'm sure there are some episodes that i would be like no that was not for me um i think and that's something that i'm also trying to work harder on is like okay i can say that i'm listening and that i'm open to other perspectives or opinions but is that true am i truly listening am i giving space to hear things and absorb them again, not just being quiet until I can then speak. I think that you guys should listen to it.
0: I feel genuinely bad that I I didn't listen to it. Um, so <laughs> I know what I'm doing today. Yeah.
1: I, well, What's I mean, it? I think that. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think you're absolutely right, and and you're right to you're right to call me out on it, and and it's it's. Um, i I was going to listen i did read a, a article from the atlantic from um about a year ago that profiled him which did not make me want to listen to it you know because it did it did ratify my theory that there is a this very strong tie to the supplement thing um but i couldn't agree more and and it's something as i said last week i'm trying to do more of and so so yeah once again um Reckoning come up and for me, I do think there's a line. I do think it goes to the mainstream thing, and I would challenge you back. Okay, so it's one thing to listen to him talk to Stephen Dubner or something. How many of those types of people could you find and listen to in that uh, on his thousands of episodes? Where you, you know what I mean? Like, I are didn't those scroll the, that
2: far. I think I'm he's got a, for a familiar name he's got uh-huh. a pretty
1: impressive list of yeah guests. he's just got thousands of people at this sure and, and and good on him right like and good on the people that go on it so you're you're both and Carly you're absolutely right and 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 I need I need to listen to it I was listening to other things I was doing other things and i i, I too feel badly, but it was a conscious choice. It was it, once I read the liner notes from last week's episode, I was like, Which Hey,
2: you only saw yesterday. So it <laughs> yeah. means all week you also made the decision, but I think the thing with him as well is I, you can hear it in what he's saying and how he's saying certain things. I know that there is a whole other group of people who are listening and, and kind of responding really strongly to some of the other things that he was saying. And, like, you know, they talked about um, gun ownership at one point, and he was giving this argument, you know, like, I know, but then people need to protect their families. And I feel like that's such a weak kind of argument in the, like, oh, everyone has to have a gun because you have to protect your family. And then it validates, you know, like, stand your ground legislation. and All these things where I think, like, I just don't think that more guns equals a safer world but he's open to discussing these things he makes he makes actually really eloquent clearly thought out um arguments and he references people george that i think you would be really surprised um by like and i can't think of any good examples right now but he's a well-read articulate person and and i think just shutting down the conversation, the conversation completely, and saying the fact that you had a, a like he isn't. He, yes, he promoted some supplements. It's like a comp- like a sponsorship deal, but whatever. Like people do that all the time. I don't think that it makes much sense to say because you got sponsorship money at some point in your career i refuse to listen to anything that you have to say and i will just assume that we're on opposite ends how does that make the conversation progress at all if you aren't even open to it
1: you're completely right i agree i mean and and, and, i mean this is something i'm working on in myself too and obviously the guy's got something you know and it's my bias. I equate him with the Rush Limbaughs of the world and the Alex Joneses, and clearly that's that's inaccurate. So I mean, I'm, he came off a lot
2: smarter than I expected. I was in the same boat when I was listening back. We were all like, "Ah, yeah, like that guy." And after I listened to it, I thought like, he's he's educated. He's intelligent for sure. Anyways, I,
1: I, I will fi- I will do what you did, in i square- And I've done this before. I have been been on the fence about listening and i've scrolled through the episodes looking for someone that that i was interested in to hear him talk to to him or her whatever and and um and so very uh, I'll few do women
2: yes
1: yeah, that's again that's problematic for me
2: mm-hmm.
1: but Thanks. fair enough
2: Yeah.
0: uh we did have a listener question hit it Go to that.
2: Yeah.
0: pull that up all right <laughs> Uh, from Joseph, a Berkeley student by the looks of it. Hey, Carly, George, and Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer your listeners' questions. I've got a couple. Question one For non American artists, would you recommend registering with ASCAP, BMI, or a local PRO to collect public performance royalties?
1: Joseph, George, yeah, right. <laughs> can I talk about Doritos and MSG instead? Um, <laughs> The question is, should I, I'm a foreign, what, say it again, please. For non-American artists, would you
0: recommend registering with ASCAP BMI or a local PRO to collect public performance royalties?
1: You you need to register. I'm going to write something out on it. I'm not going to give bad information on this. It's a complicated thing. What, What Joseph is talking about, public performance royalties are Money that are paid to, uh, songwriters and songwriters alone in the United States rather than performers. So if, if when Dolly Parton writes, I will always love you. And Whitney Houston does a version of it and makes it a hit. And that song is played on the radio in the United States, North Korea, Iraq, and Syria, only Dolly Parton gets paid, not Whitney Houston. In the rest of the world both Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston get play, get paid in the United States. In the copyright code, there is no right of so-called public performance for the performer. So because of that, there's no reciprocity. So in other words, if I'm a, if I'm a U.S. artist and I write a song, I will get my, uh, I will get my right of public performance paid to me in the States. However, if I'm Bono, and I write with or without you and uh, I that song gets pl- covered in the in the United States by someone I Bono would get the money, but the performer wouldn't. So because there's no reciprocity, it's created what's known as black box money where the where the the publishers pay they collect the, the, the sorry, the societies collect the money and they don't distribute it. So what you want to do is you want to affiliate with a with a Local PRO where you release the song, it gets tricky. You can only affiliate with one PRO. In theory, ASCAP and BMI are supposed to go out and collect from all the other PROs, but it doesn't happen because of what I just said about the, the breakage. Um, so what you really need is you need a, a and this is where publishers come into play for artists. And and I, I, you know, one of the great misnomers of the music industry is never never sell your publishing that's largely correct right like you don't you don't want to say you don't want to take your song your catalog of songs and say here now i'm selling them to you you do however want to pay or take a percentage of the money that is collected and and uh you know give that as compensation to what's known as a publishing administrator who will go out and find that public performance money for for you in the various territories around the world. So as I say, it's a complicated question, but but in theory, irrespective of where you put your song out, that the PROs are supposed to have reciprocal relationships with the other PROs in the other territories. It's, it's it's Zoe was, Zoe Keaton and I were talking about this and, and she's so eloquent and we both like, you know, both wanted to use a, a sort of deprecating word about the PRS, and she said the system is clunky, <laughs> which is a really nice euphemism for it. it, it it's 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 clunky is an understatement. Um, it's anachronistic. It's 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 um, and it's really really harmful for artists because there's so much money out there that they're owed that they don't collect. So it's the right question. It's it's too much for me to go into um, just just right here v- verbatim. But I'll write something about it. And also it, it gets into some pretty arcane um um international copyright law which is tricky but but it, it just shows that to, because there's not that you can't like sum up the answer to that question in 30 seconds or something it it immediately goes to the information asymmetries if you know the answer to that question you can profit from it and 99.9 percent of the artists don't so um I'm not. I'm not articulating well. It's a great question um, and one that I'll write on and and try to get some clarity. But. Great.
2: It's so interesting to me that the U.S. isn't a part of more global copyright initiatives.
1: Well, they are. They're they're, they're two dominant global copyright um, uh, uh, initiatives. As you say, there's this one known as the Bern B E R N E Convention, which I forget what year, but but many years ago. Sort of said, look, we globally anyone who signs this are going to kind of operate the same way. There's also something known as the <coughs> Treaty of Rome that does the same thing, but the U.S. as the U.S. is want to do picks and chooses the elements of the global things that benefit them, and then the rest of the world's kind of like, wait, what? And so the the U.S. didn't opted out of what's known as neighboring rights, which is that that what I was talking about, where Dolly Parton. Um, would get paid as the writer, but Whitney Houston doesn't get paid as the performer. And as I said, intentionally, the only other countries that have opted out of that are North Korea, Iraq, and Syria. So we're in we're in great company there. Um, so yeah, the U.S. as as the leading kind of producer, I, I assume, still today. I could be wrong. Of the global consumption of entertainment, is is the biggest offender with respect to a, a kind of reciprocity and and. It's, it's, it's the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And, and so the U.S. picks and chooses kind of how they want to opt in and opt out. Over time, just like every other kind of institution built on a on firmament of, of unethical behavior or racism, it begins to crumble. And if you look at the state of, of terrestrial radio um, in the United States, yeah, not going great, right? And so this, all these things are coming back to haunt them just as i mean i'm i'm so horrified by my industry the music industry with with respect to it's it's history of racism and now even more it's it's doing really nothing i mean i'm doing what i can and others are but um, you know, the, the, the fact that BMG is the only label to stand up and go, yeah, we will actually take a look at our historical contracts um, during this time of, of reckoning, everyone should be doing that. And, and I think it's an opportunity to talk more about, about the, the, the inequities inclusive, but not limited to the way the U.S. handles these rights of global public performance. Cool. Question two.
0: How important would you say is having a band agreement in writing, even when all income is already being split equally between all members?
1: It's essential, it, and I have written about this, and I can try to find it. Um, it's it. I I refer to it as an intra I N T R A band agreement, and here here's the issue. So I'm um, I'm a songwriter. Or, no, let me do it a different way. I'm in a band. There are four of us in a band. I'm the I'm the drummer. I don't. I don't write the music. I just play the I quote air quotes just play the drums. The, the The singer in the band writes the songs, and then the bass player and and the guitar player are like the drummer. They're not they're not authors of the songs. They they play in the band. And at the beginning, you know, you you someone brings a song to rehearsal, and you kind of work it up, and and as you get popularity. Um, again, this goes to the first question, the way that the law works, so that band, let's call them the Orchids. Um, the, the Orchids, write a, the, the singer writes a song for the Orchids. None of the other members are writers on the song. The song becomes a hit. Um, because of public performance royalties, when that song is played on the radio, only the singer and writer, let's call him George, gets the money the other members of the Orchids get nothing, right? And uh, so very quickly, the imbalances begin to appear. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, George from the Orchids is flying around in his helicopter because he's getting all this public performance and mechanical royalties, whereas the rest of the Orchids are still living in mom's basement or whatever and and so eventually the the imbalances go crazy and what what happens is and bands break up what happens is is that that um too often the the singer goes okay i know what i'll do i'll just give you all a piece of the copyright to the song that's the wrong move so now there are four people in the orchids the singer writes the song he divides the copyright in quarters and then bass player from the orchids quits well when bass player of the orchids quits she takes her 25% of the songs that she's been allocated and you can't get them back. Now she continues to receive that money anytime that song is publicly performed, broadcast on TV, played on the radio, et cetera. Now you've got to get a new bass player. And so what do you give that new bass player? And you end up fractionalizing your copyright so that people who aren't in the band are making more than the people who are in the band. So the right way to do it is to do what's known as an intra-band agreement where you say, okay, look, I'm the songwriter. But we're going to divide all of the money that comes into this band, including public performance royalties, mechanical royalties, all the things that would normally just go to me, songwriter. I'm going to split it up. Doesn't have to be equally, but in some percentage. Um, And as long as you stay in the band, you get it. Once you leave the band, you don't get it anymore or you get a sunsetting amount over time. And that way you don't break the copyright. Um, so that you can you can continue to keep the band going even if members leave, but you incent the members to stay in the band um, because they're getting part of the earnings. And again, it's anachronistic with our copyright code, where where really only the people that write the melody and lyric um, can get the copyright. I mean, George Harrison, all those amazing guitar riffs, he didn't he didn't get any piece of the Beatles copyright. James Jamerson, the great bass player for all those Motown songs, nothing. You know. And that's something that that I do hope and am trying personally to address. That we can fractionalize now the income so that you know I'm the bass player, I'm the drummer, whatever. I should have a piece of that copyright, and the money should come to me pr- proportionally and directly. It's just not how the system works right now. So you have to kind of you kind of have to work within the band to come up with an agreement. In order to do that, you need to set the band up as, as an LLC or something because otherwise, all the money's coming into one person. That person's got to put it in a bank and pay taxes on it. You, you need a corporate kind of bank account. And I've I've written at length on on these topics, and I can I can find it, But intraband agreements are hugely important. It also goes to things like who owns the name, right? If if you're in a band and and you know one or two people leave, can they take the name? It's why it's why for years I had to clean up trademark uh, issues around the Platters. There were like no fewer than ten or twelve Platters. Touring the country at any given time, no original members because there was no clarity on who owned the the, the name. Um, so those types of deals, and I and I help artists with them a lot. Um, oh, and I, this leads to an interesting thing. Also for our fellow Ianairs out there, I think that we should have no okay. And then what? Why are you shaking I, I, your head?
0: I can't get behind Ianairs as the
1: name. Oh. Okay, or to our fellow whatever whatever orchids out there, um, I want us to have. Uh, uh, I will. I, I cannot. I cannot volunteer you all's time, but I will volunteer my time once a week uh, for a virtual quote office hour, where I shall sit on Zoom or Slack, and if anybody wants to pop dop in and say hello and talk about, um, you have to say you have to start that way. You have to hello. George? Is that you? <laughs> Hello? George? I have a question. Hello? George? Then and then you have to start that way. And then I will, <laughs> then I will, <laughs> then I will answer the question. Um, but they have to do it in old, like an old English sort of a Cockney thing. So all the people that come in, if they happen to be Cockney, that'll be easy for them. Anybody else, no matter where they're from, they have to ask the question during my office hours in a Cockney accent. Hello, George. I have a question for you about how... <laughs> now warm... you're Cockney.
0: You weren't Cockney before. <laughs> how You, have, you warm... have
1: to be part of the cast of Faulty Towers in order to mm-hmm. <laughs> ask a question. Mm-hmm. Hello, George. Tell me more about Net Promoter Score. Hello. How, will you
2: know, how will you know if they're using the accent when they're just typing their question on Slack? No, to it's, it's it office hours.
1: They have to zoom oh, okay. in on me. Yeah. Hello, George. Well, let's, Could you let's p- do the- <laughs> you yeah. All
0: right. Do you want to keep on doing the accent? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious How many though. Sometimes <laughs> you need to say hello, George, in the past two minutes and
1: work it through it. I've, but I'm serious though. Like, I will put a schedule out there of when people can zoom in and ask me any business, music business, you know, investing type question, whatever. But they have to ask it in a Cockney accent and I'm going to record it and then, then and we'll put the answer out. <laughs> so let's use the release of this episode to uh
0: debut the slack channel. We'll put a link to an invite yes. link in the show notes um and in the email that goes out with this. Uh yeah, and if we want it to be uh I think we should have a weekly AUA office hours type setup. Um I wasn't gonna wow. suggest we do that on Zoom and just hang out on Zoom for three hours. But you know, I, I was thinking just Slack to start. But uh No, but then it can't yeah. do the accent they can send in voice
1: notes
2: yes actually interesting
1: why why can't i just like if i'm just like doing my business why can't i just have my zoom thing on if anybody shows up hello george and then if they they don't then i'll just do my thing
0: because i know how busy you are and how much if you're not on the phone already on a zoom you're pacing around your your house on the other side of the house, like, staring at your guitar with the Zoom on. If you do that during calls, I can only imagine that, like, that times 10 is what's happening when you're not on a Zoom call.
1: <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm going to find some time. In a the amount time time of
0: times it. we've been on a Zoom, and you're like, hey, do you mind if I just make bread while we're having this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Turn the
1: faucet on, full blast. <laughs> <laughs> I try <tried> to mute be- my... <laughs> I try to remember to mute myself, but sometimes I do realize. Oh, I—I I was just using the food processor while. I was on the <laughs> oh, I was just making. I was just crushing ice while I was. On the <laughs> right, well, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna find because there are times. There are gaps. There are gaps. Well, yeah,
0: and we can. If no one shows up, we can just hang out and talk. We'll well, later, we don't all have to. Just, no, I want it just to be me.
1: Just you, knock yourself oh. out, George. No, yeah. you all can have your own. You can have your own ones too. Your office hours. You do not have to. Okay. All three of us are like. I, we, you can have Carly's office hour and Dan's office hour, and I'll have mine. And mine will be Alan Cockney. <laughs> I, I hope people show up. I hope you can. <laughs> 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 it's gonna be awesome because it'll be some poor person. Just like, hi, hi, Professor Howard. Talking cock, talking cockney. <laughs> yeah, you have, to, you have to talk in cockney as well. Yeah. Uh, do I have? Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. <laughs> cockney questions
0: with George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That'll make it so much better for everyone for you
2: yeah for and, you only and them,
1: no because it'll 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 make them less nervous like because it it'll like, make oh. them
2: more nervous to even ask a question if they know that they have to ask it in a ridiculous <laughs> way, accent all right
0: George, <laughs> Let's you, practice. you have your you have your office hours carly and i will hold our own and people can speak in whatever their native accent is <laughs>
2: yeah
0: can we
1: practice D- or carly can you ask your a question to cock
2: no,
0: <laughs> this is the issue.
1: Carly, yeah, Carly no, loves can... these types of games. So much. one of my favorite uh, Carly jokes is, is there's an old Dean Martin joke where he says, he, he said, <laughs> the joke goes, uh, a grasshopper walks into a bar and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and he says, the part. uh, Can you tell it, Carly?
2: Mm-mm.
1: Grasshopper walks into a bar to order a drink, and, and the bartender says, oh, <laughs> we have a drink named after you. The grasshopper looks at the bartender and says, oh, you have a drink Dave? Marvin Schwartzman? <laughs>
2: <laughs> His reaction is... <laughs>
1: And that's like, it's one of my favorite jokes of all time. But my favorite thing to do is to to make Carly try to tell that joke because the the joke is the making up of the name. Do you get the joke, Dan?
0: Yeah, I get the joke.
1: Can you tell it? (laughs) Tell it back at me. I'm not telling it back. But you have to make up a different name.
2: It's too much pressure for a joke. Do it. I don't it's, like it's the true. joke. You want
0: to make a name? I'll make up a name. Like, but you have to do it in the Fran- context of the joke. Francis Bezel
1: butt. I don't know. <laughs> 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 you see how hard it is? Francis Bezel butt is awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that
2: was good. That was
1: that's good. really good. But like when you're in so everyone so I, I love that I love doing that with Carly because she can't do it. Like she can't I don't know. T- I
2: have there's something that blocks me from. It. She'll I can't. And, and
1: like when she's like she'll she'll get like to the punchline. Oh, so your name is and then I can't do it. And like Too she much can't even, she can't come up with Francis Beetlebutt. Well,
2: <laughs> no, I can't. I really can't. But my favorite part is when you told me that joke the first time. Yeah, you and said, I screwed it up. <laughs> what did you say? You
1: realize? <laughs> A cricket.
2: <laughs> yeah, a cricket walks into a bar, and I was like, okay. And then I was like thinking, like, there's no drink called cricket. Am I <laughs> like this is, the whole joke is nonsense? Like the whole the joke is just a weird name because a random insect was in a bar. I was like, what? I mean, grasshopper, okay. then it started to make more sense, but but now the the request has become too big no the request is too big george is also really great at like putting terrible jokes in your head and forcing you to retell them in public (laughs) situations another one that is not safe for work that we won't discuss on this particular episode
0: Uh, i remember a time when this podcast was about helping creatives understand business and helping business people think more creatively now it's, now it's, here's bad jokes from George in yeah. a Cockney <laughs> accent.
1: <laughs> it's a good joke, A. B, it does help you think creatively. C, I'm offered up my valuable time for people to call in and talk, and I'm trying to make it a more pleasant experience for them and make it not so like, oh, I have a question, but I, you know. And if I think that by making them talk in a Cockney accent, that will make it easier for them.
0: Well, that's, well, there's only one way to find out. We let the exactly. data speak for itself. Um yeah. Carly and I will accept questions in writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I will so, not. Uh is that how people come to you like in your office hours at Berkeley? It's all
1: timid. It doesn't go well a lot. And and I and I try, you know, like because it's as you say, I'm I'm busy and then like my the thing is like. Oh, Professor Howard, I, I need. I've got this idea, I can I get some office hours? And like, I, I, my, I love my students more than anything, and 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 so like, I'm always eager to talk to them, but I want to use their time efficiently and my time. So I, I ask them in advance to write out just like a one page thing that I can look at before they come, because I think a lot of times people, and I, and this is fair and valid, and they just sort of want to brainstorm through the idea. But, like, I don't have time. To- it, it, I have time? It's not the most effective use of either of our time to do that. So, um, yeah, office hours can be a little tricky. Uh, and it's also bad because there's there's typically just sort of like a line. And so people are feeling like they have to rush through their thoughts. And I don't like that. And so that's why I think. It, and for me, so much of it is, like, I know that just the dynamic can be awkward and intimidating. I'm old. I have a deep voice, whatever. So, there's a bit of a method to my madness. Obviously, if somebody, call, I'm not going to make them do the whole thing in a Cockney <laughs> accent. Maybe. But also,
0: you you just you just not prove my point, but writing something out it can lead to two possible or three possible outcomes. One is you just figure out how to say what your question is. The other two are you realize you can Google the answer, or mm-hmm. you already know the answer, mm-hmm. or three you realize. Maybe it's not a great question. And yeah. when you write it out, it's it's like, uh, is this real? No, that, I'm going to that's school?
1: why I do that. And But like, I just, I, I don't, <laughs> I, it, I, I'm i always trying to straddle that line, encouragement and accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I always want to encourage my students, like, take that idea. But then the accountability is, you, you can't, It's it's and again, it sounds like super selfish. Like, I, I keep saying, like, don't waste my time. I don't really care about it. I mean, I care about it. it's like Don't waste your time. Don't be sloppy intellectual. Like, just as you say, like, if you can Google something, if you can, if you like, just because this idea floats into your head doesn't necessarily merit, you know, sitting down, talking through something like there should be a little bit of legwork in advance. So much of my teaching, so much of my classes, so much of my work in business is trying to help people filter through ideas that float into their head into a more productive way i mean and and there are lots of ways you can do it and to your point one of the very first things i tell people is get it out of your head and onto paper because when ideas are in your head rattling around there and i think this is very human they seem perfect and they almost become security blankets i know for me personally i'll have ideas for businesses or whatever in my head that i kind of use as like well (laughs) when my life completely falls apart at least i can fall back on that thing right and and but that's that's a lie, right? It, it's just you need to get that out of your head and then poke holes in it and and then keep fleshing it out. While it stays in your head, it stays sort of perfect. So it's it's no ideas are perfect. It's 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 getting it out there. And so it's not like when I ask my students or colleagues or whatever to write something out before we have that conversation. It's to that point. Exactly. It's not just about, oh, my time's so precious. I need to go buy more Doritos and MSG. It's it's about like, I think that process will help you, you know, and then it'll help us have a much more um, uh, productive kind of time together. And that's all I want is the productivity.
0: Here's another idea: practice saying your idea or question in a Cockney accent, and if it sounds ridiculous, then maybe you need to work on the idea, or maybe that. maybe you've got a really bad Cockney accent. Yeah, sounds ridiculous
1: anyway. <laughs> I'm not 100 sure I know what a Cockney accent is. I think of it as like like in in the the, the, the um, uh, I just have like Dick Van Dyke from um Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, or no, no, the other one, the the woman who the um, Pippi Longstocking, no the Who's the the woman of uh, 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 a spoonful of sugar? Mary Poppins. That's it. Mm-hmm. But um. But anyway, no. But it, look, it, it it there's a bit of a method to my madness. I, I I think business and 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 entrepreneurship and and talking about it, it needs to be fun. It needs to like there needs to be the spirit of of I, I hate it when people use this word, but I'm using it like play of like of of if you can get that, if you, if you feel excited in a dopamine, if you feel like you can so much, I, I think, I, I think humor is a proxy for intelligence. I think, I think funny people tend to be smart people, you know? And so if you can, if you can sit and banter with someone like ideas, it's it's a, work doesn't have to be this like you know Sisyphus pushing this boulder up a hill. I mean, one of the things Dan I like about you know working with with some of the people who who we work with, like we laugh a lot on those calls. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so like and, and I think that that's good. I think that that's like too often business you you tense up and it and it's like in anything like you and playing an instrument like when you're tense. You don't play well, you know? Like I remember when and I was first learning guitar, my teacher would make me like drop my hand, like relax, relax. And so I find humor and like that can relax people. And then you get closer to that flow state and, and you say something and some of it's just nonsense. But in that nonsense, in that spirit of play, like kernels of really important ideas come out. And life is also just better. Like like we're, we're on our phones or whatever and like this is serious shit and we've got stakeholders and accountability but let's laugh every once in a while like it you know and I I know I often in in job circumstances I'm like the court jester and some of the times that's just intentional because I feel like if I can make people laugh on a conference call it can change the dynamic it goes from being accusatory and stuff to like Okay, we're all just people here. Let's express and articulate and laugh at ourselves too. I mean, I, I'm the first one to laugh at my nonsense. I mean, not not like oh, I'm so funny, but laugh at my foibles. You know, a bit above.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe when when people submit questions, we should ask them to submit a joke as well. I want them to tell be, the yeah. grasshopper
1: joke. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, I, like, I know exactly. Totally. And then I think it's like the spirit. And you're right, Dan. The, this podcast is supposed to be about helping people, but like, it, it's it's got to be fun for us too. But that was also me just
0: teasing you guys about going down that rabbit hole. But you're right. I mean, but also, whenever it, it, it's it's why you're a good teacher too, because you do have fun with it, right? Where if it was just dry, mm. you know, here's the lecture, here are the definitions, students wouldn't retain it as well. Whereas if you Tell it with kind of your
1: your charisma and your humor. It's uh it's more memorable. And my students are funny, and we're funny people. And like those moments, like I find laughter intimate. Like I find I find like it's bonding. Like when you can when you can laugh with people and and take some of your defenses down. And like it's so humanizing in this in this political world. I mean, I'm so. I'm so antithetical, so diametrically opposed to certain people in my life with respect to politics and stuff. I just hunger for those moments where we can just laugh together and put, you know, and it's true of business too. Like it's, it's, it's hard. A lot of, a lot of the work that, that, that I, we have to do is deadly serious. People have their savings on, uh, you know, uh, you know, but like being able to just kind of laugh and, 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 and deep, Pressurize that pressure cooker allows for more. I'm always trying to balance that because mm. it, it can be so brutal. Yeah, it's not just teaching, but like if your work, if you're not laughing through your day with your work, maybe it's a question what you're doing. You know, it's just drudgery. Life is got to, particularly now. I and mean, I feel guilty laughing sometimes because I mean the, the state of the world or whatever. But the the alternative is just misery. Who wants that? I mean, I think of, I think of, um, 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 you know, MCA, who I, I love so much. And and he said his favorite part of of the Buddha, he was just like, yeah, he's funny, you know? Like, the Buddha's just a funny dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. He met, MCA met the Dalai Lama. He's like, the best thing about him is he's really funny. Cool. All right. So, what have we worked on? There we go. Uh, I'll
0: go. I, Yesterday, or this morning, I don't remember when, I published part four of The Remote mm. Musician's Handbook. Granted, yes. it's been available in the PDF form since April. Uh, <laughs> but part four is is kind of a hypothetical, here's this artist and she wants to adopt a lot of the practices that I suggested in the handbook. How would she go about it and how could artists that are reading it use that as a jumping off point to, um, to start doing things like um live streaming recurring revenue all these things that should become part of uh what being an artist is the kind of regular content output as well as monetizable actions outside of putting a song up on spotify Uh, you know just how do you get started or how do you take especially for i think it's we talked about it last week there's going to be a bit of a reckoning for every single artist in the world that relies solely on streaming income or primarily on streaming income and touring, both of which are largely um, irregular events um, to say, all right, I need to come up with a model where I'm making more recurring regular income from (laughs) content that I put out um, membership type stuff. Uh, How do you shift your, traditional artist business model into something that is more in line with a uh i keep on saying new media creator i don't love that i love term, that though new media
1: entrepreneur that, that came out of last week's podcast i do too are you bothered by that phrase or that term again? uh i'm not bothered by it. it it
0: feels i don't i guess i think part of it is a lot of this stuff is not new it's just new for musicians
1: mm. um yeah, but, I mean, I remember back in the day in the '90s, like record labels would have a new media department, and at that point, it meant like the internet, you know. But um,
0: what's your um, the the last class I took with you about creative promotion and new media? Is new that media class,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Creative promotion through new media. Look, I mean, it's all clunky, but the the, the spirit of it is that artist is entrepreneur, and, yeah. and not and not forewalling that as artist as singer songwriter artist as musician it's it, it's it's that and Carly did find the link to that in the show notes about my article about how um managers need to focus on business development yeah new media feels a little anachronistic right now but um but but it's, it's what it is. is it's it's what it is whatever that whatever that new media might be coming out
0: you know well that's um, the thing if you by new media, it's an evergreen term that adopts whatever is new mm-hmm. at the time, because uh, YouTube is going to be old media at some point. And it it is already, and, old and, media
1: and I think yeah, compared to like a TikTok or something. And and so I think like another th- theme that comes through all these podcasts is it's that mindset. It's it's keeping that that kind of mindset of well, I'm not going to just dismiss some new potentiality just because it's new, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know I was thinking as. Because this is something I want to write, kind of ongoing about as, as, not necessarily a series, but an ongoing theme, and so I was looking at just other types of media and how, you know, what else is as irregular as music releases, right? It's movies, so actors, right? But if you're, if you are an actor that is in movies that are coming out. Uh, you know regularly but irregularly if that makes sense you always have a project going on um, you don't need to worry about this but every up and coming actor like what are you going to do just take small roles in mm-hmm. irregularly released films and rely on those to build your career I look at comedians right now uh, they're so great with TikTok and YouTube because they will do a bit like Sarah Cooper is an example right uh, Trevor Wallace is uh, this dude i Actually, my friend told me about him who I he watched this guy's YouTube shows and then I came across him on TikTok and I ended up going to one of his stand-ups. And this guy is building a legitimate comedy career using his skits on TikTok and YouTube mm-hmm. to tour nationally, maybe internationally. Uh, and you don't have to be represented by you know WME or something. You can do although Sarah Cooper is
1: now but she um, just signed a deal yeah
0: yeah um but you know that's this is the point it's you should not have to rely on uh, other parties with a lot of leverage to make a living.
1: Uh, that's right and and i think you know when you're talking about actors a lot of actors at at lots of stages of of their career do voiceover stuff for commercials and things i mean they are looking for other ways to and i think artists musicians need to get into that mindset too ben schwartz just
0: uh built a little voiceover studio in his
1: closet (laughs) he's he's great you know and and i think artists there's a bit of a you know i'm working on i'm working on actually a, a, a piece for about Echo Kids and about Mm -hmm. how they are are um not just providing, you know, a a job to be done or a service for the, the the kids that are learning music, but also for musicians to have another supplemental income source. And teaching's obviously been been something, but they're now completely new and less stigmatized ways um to kind of make money through teaching. You know, I mean still to this day I've been begging Johnny Marr for decades to like, please do a book showing how to play those insane guitar parts. And, um, but uh, you know, like other people will. And, and so it, it, I love this thread of the podcast where it's like, well, you're a creative entrepreneur. Your main medium happens to be music, but what else can you, tie the two like animation studios right now are desperate for music you know and that's not something that because they haven't been shut down as badly as as some of the others so um just getting getting the music out there it, it, i think it's a really good thread i'm so glad that that handbook is finally out what's next for writing more about what we were just talking about
0: yeah i think that's mm. i want to um i, I want to profile some of these people but i think mm. it can be Great. turned into an Great ongoing mm-hmm. um Love that. Yeah. you know. Not just in practice, but kind of more prescriptive. Here are ways to break out of uh, the release cycle being the only driving force behind your your business.
1: So important, man! What a great great mission because it's it is it's, it's 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 applicable to any artist and and not just artists. I mean, I'm always you know musicians or whatever canary in a coal mine. Like the days of just like anybody having kind of one job. Are kind of over. Like you're all everybody. I I hate this term, but everybody's got some kind of side hustle or another. And and, and, you know, I I think it's the purpose, not product. Like it's okay if your side hustles or your whatever, if they line up from, if they they kind of stem from an overarching purpose, it'll all be okay and it'll all be fun. And but if it's like, well, I'm just doing this because I've got to grind it out, it's not sustainable. Carla, what do you write about?
2: Well, um, I will just need to reshare that personas piece with you guys because I wanted to get that out. I'll get that out this week. The follow up, but I want Great. you guys to feedback on that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited for that. I really, really want that to be. Maybe that's the next kind of handbook type thing that we do. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like that. this model. Yeah.
0: Well, it's Me it's. Too.
1: Based kind of on your your um, blockchain book, the blockchain book, the core book, yeah. But it's 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 a good model because it keeps it. You know, we, we start with a thesis, put it out there, then talk to others, refine it, and then here test it,
2: some,
1: test it. Here's well, some examples. I mean, HBR does it right. I
0: mean, all of their books of ten articles on yeah, yeah,
2: uh, yeah.
1: yeah,
0: leadership or whatever.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. H- <laughs> But yes, it is. It is uh, I, I really like it. And I, I love, for me, it's something I've been doing in a vacuum. So the idea to be able to share it with you all and hopefully with listeners and, and other people. Like I, again, I, I, I want to give t-shirts away, give away copies of my book or whatever to people that are sending us in through Twitter, through whatever. Hey, I wrote this. I promise I'll, I'll retweet it. I'll stick it out there, whether that's a song. A business piece, you know. I, I really want to encourage people around
2: that. Mm-hmm.
1: All the orchids out there.
2: Hmm. The platters
1: can't do
0: that. I think art <laughs> artpreneur is so. Is that hard to
1: say? Come on, it's
0: it's our Twitter handle. I mean, yeah, it's, art- it's a play on our
1: on our um, the name of this podcast. It's it makes your tongue go too f- far in the back of your mouth. Uh, artpreneur. Artpreneur? Art, uh, artpreneur,
0: artpreneur, only the end. Art-preneur. Art-preneur. And that's like middle of your palette. There's no L. It sounds like I'm back talking and enough. I'm
1: deaf. Art-preneur.
2: But you're just try saying it normally.
0: <laughs> Say it with a cockney accent.
1: Yeah. Entrepreneurs. Yeah, right? Beautiful. Right. All right. Hello, fella entrepreneurs. What have you written about? <laughs> <laughs> um What are the three things?
2: Who wants to get started? I feel like I often go first. I'm not going to end on a very super happy note, though, so maybe I go second. You want
0: to go second? (laughs) All right, George (laughs) went first last time. I'll go first this time. Um, Three things. Uh, First, I have a a podcast that I really enjoyed. Uh, Boom Bust HQ Trivia. I started listening to
1: that, too, about HQ Trivia. Yesterday, I started listening to that
0: clearly the three of us are in a little bit of a bubble slapping <laughs> <There's laughs> interest um, but yeah it's it's chronicles the rise and fall of HQ Trivia and the founders hmm. um, you know selling Vine and then creating HQ Trivia and it's got how far
1: into it are you uh, I'm caught up oh you? oh okay I've only listened to the first two episodes don't stay too it, much it was five episodes
0: but yeah okay. well it's just it's chronicling everything I think they've got some great people that they were able to interview like Scott Rogowski right and mm-hmm. He plays a very central role in how uh, how built, um, and they've got designers from the team as well as journalists like Taylor Lorenz and uh, I'm blanking on the um, the other woman who was at Digiday I think, and is now at CNN. Carrie Kerry yeah. Flynn, um, she's great. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I just love stuff like that. That Chronicle, um, it is good. And there's another one. I don't think it's by the ringer it's by Wondery on WeWork uh, which is a very similar type of thing yeah I want people to listen that to that one too about. yeah uh, it's, it's I think it's called We Crash or something like that oh. it's something clever I'll have to find oh. it uh, but that's one of them there's five episodes now so that's a good binge worthy thing Uh Second one, uh, when I came back to my apartment and opened my mailbox for the first time in three months after USPS failed to forward my mail, I'm glad they are able to deliver the mail forwarding notice to my Brooklyn thing saying, yes, we have received your notice and we will start forwarding it to Pennsylvania. No, they didn't. And it was it's like a <laughs> P.O. box in the lobby of my building. It's like that size and it goes pretty deep. It was just s- stuffed full of shit. Um, but like two years ago, I had ordered this book before it was written, called "Objects in the Mirror," um, by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, this dude named Stephen Kellogg. Um, and I just kind of forgotten about it. Uh, so it was, I don't think it was a Kickstarter, but he was doing that type of pre-order thing online. Um, and I'm am a huge fan of this dude, and I'm really excited to to read his book because he's had such a um an interesting. Life of you know, certainly not having the success that he thought he was going to have, um, and I'm, I, I weirdly like a lot of those stories. I find that mm-hmm. very endearing, and that's that's one of the reasons why I like the damn wells or my friend Julian Villard. <laughs> it's all these incredible, incredible artists that, um, to go back to a, a term we used a lot on a few episodes ago, never found the right product market fit, right? And so they never mm-hmm. kind of had that. They they all saw this early success of getting signed to major labels, and it felt like they were going to be the next Ryan Adams or something, yeah. or the next um, whoever, and then didn't. Uh, and I think Stephen is really interesting because he's you think of the you know an artist, and he's still successful. He still makes his career only with music, and he's written songs for some larger artists, and he still goes on tour, and he still has a I'm sure. Uh, If you look at the average revenue per fan of his uh, or annual average revenue per fan of his fan base, it's higher than most artists. So he he does things like um, like family um, like weekend trips Mm. with his fans where everyone shows up and it's like a big flag day for a weekend with his fans and their families. (laughs) Uh, Horrible. (laughs) <laughs> it's what he he turned he turned it's so interesting he turned into a, a family man he married the his high school sweetheart had four kids um, and his parents divorced when he was very young so it's kind of an interesting you don't normally hear that story but that's what his music ended up turning into um, hmm. so he ended up writing more about his his life as a as a family man that spends a lot of time on the road and he. Every time a kid is born, he writes a song for one of his daughters. They're all his daughters. Um, so uh it's 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 called um, objects in the mirror, um, thoughts on a perfect life from an imperfect person. Hmm. Uh, and I'm I love that i excited to read it. Yeah, that's a really Sounds nice. That's amazing. Uh, my third thing uh is to doist, which is uh, Oh yeah, I know Todoist. to doist. Yeah. And so I've uh this is like the douchiest way to describe what I'm trying to build but it's just how a productivity stack it's Mm -hmm. getting the right apps together that can all kind of work in tandem and I was I was using monday.com for all Mm of my um, work with one of my employees and trying to organize projects Um, and it's good for that but I was trying to use it also just for my like to-do list of work stuff and that was it's like taking a bulldozer to Push over an anthill. It's yeah, way yeah. too much. Um, and so I was using reminders on Apple, yeah. and I think that's a really bad app. I'm really disappointed by the reminders app. Um, and Todoist uh, kind of filled that gap for me, and I really like it. And so that's um, slowly figuring out, I feel like I'm always changing apps, but yeah, me too. it's feeling more like a, um, an engine rather than all these different places I have to go
1: to do things that are interrelated. You should you should um, you know chronicle this. That's, a, that's what my first blog was was uh, productivity and creativity and productivity. You know, and it was just trying to trying to find those. I, I wrote so I've used to do this I'm the same way. Like I, I struggle with. I've actually hacked reminders into something that I can sort of work with, but yeah, it's not great. But things OmniFocus and all of these different ones, I just they're hard hard to yeah. get one to kind of glom onto. That's cool. I, yeah, I've used Todoist, I don't think I go back to it, but I'd love to read kind of about your productivity stack, all the different ones that you're you're working. With. Yeah, I've
0: got what well, I need to I need to fit in Notion, I need to get Notion to do Notion. the things I want it to do. I've been do, playing around with been, that too. Yeah. It's one of those things uh, that can do everything, but you need to God, there's a learning
1: curve. It's There is definitely a learning
0: curve. People build websites on it. It's just wild. I know.
1: I know. In Rome, I mean there, there's a, you can yeah. kind of see where it's headed. Um, but did you get this from uh, machine gun Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: no, I actually this one was just an organic I had heard of to and it came yeah. up in my app recommendations a million times. So <laughs> but it's it's also really low on the I don't know if it's a productivity rankings, it's like 126 and I it's see been it all around for a long time. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, it's a very clean app and it, it does what I need it to do. Um, so I'm happy. Dig it.
1: Carly.
2: So my first thing I wanted to be finished by today. I will finish it today. I'm trying to read a book a week right now. And um, I wanted to be finished at this point, but I'm reading White Fragility right now, Robin D'Angelo's book and um actually i just saw today that she has i don't know if it was always there but there's a free reading guide available Mm. on the on her website for those that maybe you're interested but don't want to commit to the book but i would also just really recommend the book the chapter that i'm on right now is called white women's tears and i think um i just i mean these kind of discussions we obviously spent a lot of time talking about the BLM movement and protests. For me, I want to make sure that this just becomes like a permanent part of my own learning and homework. I want to incorporate these kind of lessons and tools and books. And the book is, it's great. It's really great. And I mean like her, her work, she does kind of like diversity training and in, in companies. And so the stories that she reads, like you can't help, but, but cringe, but, as someone who understands the power of words and language and loves it, she's, she puts things really clearly. Like one of the things that resonated with me the most is, is she talks about how we talk about different events and things and she uses Jackie Robinson as an example. And she says, you know, people refer to him as the first African-American professional baseball player. But if you actually wanted to, to describe that accurately, you would say Jackie Robinson is the first African American man that was allowed yeah. to play baseball, or that white men allowed to play baseball. And it's you never say things like that. Or she talks about, you know, the women's suffrage movement. It's like that gave white women the right to vote. African American mm. women actually didn't have the right to vote until the civil rights movement in the sixties. And so like, and again, that was because white men allowed white women mm. to vote. And so it's changing how you how you view and say these things. and And she talks a lot about like the good bad binary that white people have with racism. You're bad if you're a racist and you're good if you're not racist. And so white people have a really hard time like, one of the worst things that you can call a white person is a racist. And and she says, like, it's impossible as a white person to not be racist. You have been, you are born and raised in a white supremacy system. Like, everything has been designed to benefit you as a white person, whether you're aware of it or not. And so I'm also trying to... Think about ways in which I can say, and I I feel comfortable. It's not a thing that I want to say, but that doesn't. That's kind of the whole point of this. I, of course, have racist tendencies, thoughts. Like it's a thing we always try to equate it with something really intentional racism, and that's just not what a lot of racism looks like. And if we as white people can't say, I, of course, have racist parts of me because I've been conditioned in that way. You have to at first call it out to actually break it down. And there's really interesting stuff about, you know, how to actually take feedback when it comes talking about race. And in this particular chapter, you know, it's like when a white, she said, I took a photo of it. It's like when a white woman cries, a black man suffers and just like how we, uh, how we react to racism. And I think as a white woman, there's a lot of um, a lot of work that I have to do. So I'll finish that book today, but I have no qualms recommending it before I'm finished it, and I'll include the link to the free reading guide if there's anyone that wants to just like dip their toes into it. I think um, I think it's really important and it's great. It's it's really good to just change the conversations and the way that you talk about it. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Wow. My second well,
2: thing, sorry.
1: I, that was just amazing. Just that, that whole, not just not just. I mean, the book sounds amazing, but just the way that you talked about it there and the and the vulnerability and honesty with which you. I mean, that was amazing.
2: I think that it should be required reading. I, I really do. I think it's not a very long book and it's easy to read. But she just she lays things out in such a way where you know these things, but. I don't know maybe it's just like the words that she uses or the clarity in which she talks about them but we just we have to you talk about accountability it's like we just have to take accountability these systems i mean i'm blind to it because i live in the world where the systems have been designed to benefit me and so it's just it, the, and she talks also about this like color blindness that a lot of white people claim to have and how dangerous that is like you can't not see race if you don't anyone that claims to be colorblind is like one of the worst offenders because it's a thing that exists. I mean, it, it's something that we've created, but anyway, so it just, I think that it should be re- required reading. And I think in my own, my own life, it's also giving me things that kind of really tactically that I can do. And I'm going to start rephrasing things. and not saying, you know, the first african-american to do this i think it's really important to add that disclaimer it was the first was african-american allowed. person that was allowed to do yeah. this he wasn't great. the first good baseball <laughs> player you know like it's none of that is is accurate and so great anyway so yes that is for sure um a huge recommendation on my part. And then the second one, I referenced it, but actually I hadn't been listening to the Freakonomics podcast much lately. And after listening to Joe Rogan, then I went back and kind of, uh, and was listening to Freakonomics as well. And and I do really, really like Stephen Dubner's work and particularly when I was doing all that work with the Nobel Economists, um, he, he and his co-author, they just speak about economics in such a like, clear English way but he approaches really interesting topics through the economics lens and it's not the most recent but um episode 420 which jobs will come back and when they're looking at the massive job loss that's happened because of covid and like when it, there's a it's a two-part thing this is the first of two they look at the jobs that are lost and all of the jobs that just will not come back and he also looks at um different policies that have been enacted at different times. And there's this one policy called ban the box, which um, removed the checkbox on job applications where you would say, like, have you ever been in prison? And so you would check Mm -hmm. the box, yes or no. And there was a push to remove that box because the idea was that it would give former prisoners a better chance to get hired or get further in the hiring process that that box while it was supposed to be like an equal employment thing, was limiting them. But then when they removed that box, the unintended consequences that um, Black and Hispanic men, their employment rates dropped. And so there's kind of literature and proof now that by removing that box, it allowed employers to just kind of like maintain their own biases well the if I can no longer ask that I can safely assume that more black men have been in prison and so I will just hire less black men and so now it's like this unintended consequence and so he looks at policies and kind of the effects that they've done but I think this this whole aspect of you know there's obviously a lot of discussion around a push to defund the police and talking about mass incarceration but I think looking at the kind of decarceration and how to get people back in the workforce is a really interesting part of it. And so it's like Corona, but race relations and economic policy. It's a great episode. The second one is also, um, this talks more about like reopening the economy and Andrew Wang is interviewed on that well like ubi and stuff like that but that the first one i think is really really great and is one of the reasons why i love that podcast so much and then my third thing is uh dave Chappelle's 846 special i
1: watched that
2: i just checked before we had this call it's at like over 16 million views already and i think i would call it like more of a speech than a special yeah and you know like it opens up with people getting their temperatures checked and sitting at socially distanced space from each other and everyone's wearing their masks and um of course there's like there's a few jokes in there but it's just a really kind of poignant perspective of what's going on and i also found it interesting because he talks about like the push for celebrities to speak up and we talked about it you know george with the whole like imagine thing and how tone deaf it was um, and he just kind of summarizes, I think his his stand and his perspective so so beautifully on it. It's like he's he says like I'm comfortable being in the back seat. Like the generation that is driving right now is the one that should be. And but he also kind of ties his own life to some of these things, um, like numerically. I mean, obviously, 8:46 is the number of, of minutes that George Floyd. At his neck knelt upon um, by a white man. But he talks about like Kobe Bryant's birthday. And, and I think it's a thing that you hear a lot too, like um, after Trayvon Martin was killed, like Frank Ocean singing about like, he looks just like me. And I think that there's this mirroring effect that Dave Chappelle really expresses really eloquently and beautifully. And so it's like about half an hour. Anyone that hasn't watched it, I think definitely should. And that's my third thing.
1: Yeah, I just watched that the other night and one of these one of these times we we're, we're going to have the same ones between us. Um I I, I was
2: actually it, wondering about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I found it truly remarkable. I mean, I I I I, I kind of missed the time when he was super popular when his show was on. I just was so busy. I was, you know, so and I've always been um fans not to what we're just admired his his work and and but that that yeah. I mean, you said I don't really have anything to add except for if you haven't watched it, watch it because it's, it's, it, and and it's not a stand. I mean, it is only like a half an hour and pe- it's in, I guess, at his house mm-hmm. in Ohio or wherever. And like people just kind of, it, but it's,
2: man. In some man. kind of field. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It was so, so, so good. So good. Hmm. Hard to follow those. My gosh.
2: I didn't want to end. I feel like all of mine were a little bit heavy, but. <laughs>
1: Can I just talk got, in a George? Cockney accent for, for a while? <laughs> you can do the whole thing in a Cockney accent. Your three things. No, no, I can't. I'm embarrassed about my Cockney accent. I'm embarrassed about my three things. I may have to no. reorder them. Well, they go from they go from trivial to non-trivial, so maybe that's okay. So um, as hopefully we're perhaps nearing at least stage one of the end where we're not just sort of locked up i'm, I'm reflecting back on um you know what what i've kind of learned um and then this is a very light thing but just like things that i don't think i would have done otherwise just because i i my life is structured so that i'm on an airplane all the time and i just don't have time um but so I've gotten pretty darn good at, at, at pour over coffee. And, and it's like one of these rituals that I really, really love in the morning. It takes me about 15 minutes to go from start to finish on it. So it's not the type of thing it's for you can just like, you have to, you have to kind of make the time for it. And I, and I love it. And then, you know, for me and the way my brain works, like I have to refine and tune and test. And, and then um, yesterday morning, I was so happy because I don't. I don't ever get to do much coding these days. I just bought Henry a C++ uh, coding book, so he and I are going to do some together. But um, the closest I get to it these days is. is- coding together coding to not the right word but making shortcut apps and which is code i mean it's it's they just make it's like building blocks of coding um but so i I hacked together i improved I, i built a little early version of a pour over timer shortcut and then yesterday i just built this really detailed granular and it just threw me back to like when i was actually writing code and just like that 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 learning new things and then trying to chronicle it and then make something that other people can then use to because it's like pour over coffee for me at least was really intimidating it, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing you know th- two months ago or whatever and I've, I've, I'll never forget like the first cup I made was just a, it was undrinkable you know and um but now like with this app that I've written like any I feel like anybody that uses the the little shortcut could make a decent cup of pour over coffee so that, that's been fun and again something that I just don't don't see myself ever having the time to do that absent quarantine. Um, the second one is uh, the movie called Babylon, uh, which uh, came out originally in 1980, uh, directed by uh, Franco Rosso. And it, it takes place in, in, in uh, uh, South London, like Brixton. Um, and it's the story of two competing um, Rasta, Fari, and um, uh, sound systems, reggae sound systems, like putting their, they, they're gonna have a battle. It's unbelievable, and it was it, like when it first came out, it went to Cannes and got all sorts of awards or whatever. But it was it was deemed to be too controversial. It never had a U.S. theatrical debut until 2019, and because like when they sh- when it was showed in London, people tore the seats up and stuff, and it was you know um, just very inflammatory um, culturally. But it, it it provides this picture of sort of Thatcher's London, and and for me at least, like I, I'd argue that the Clash is is the greatest rock and roll band of all time, and and like you know the the whole it shows the 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 nexus between you know reggae and and that and punk rock and the Clash and the music's in it. it's just so great. Like what's the dude? The dude, um, the main guy is a um, blank on his name. Oh, it's uh Oh, man uh, a warrior change by aswat so he's in it like um, uh, the the uh, Brinsley Ford who plays the character you know from uh, in the movie but he is the guy from aswat and they, the songs there so if you don't know like kind of the history of sound systems and and um, uh, the way that they made this creative art in absolutely the worst period of time um this is a great movie and it's so so cinema verity like you you can't believe it's a work of fiction it feels like the films of like mike lee or, or it feels like Sc- scorsese's mean streets but about dub you know so it, okay. i just absolutely love it okay. the third thing is uh my new favorite book that was given to me by carly called uh, funny weather art and an emergency by olivia lang and uh i had, it had arrived and I, I i just started really pouring through it last night um it's just great! It profiles. Um, it's it's a series of her interviews and profiles of people, but uh, Basquiat, Georgia O'Keeffe, um, and then it just like it touched my heart so much because I think I've talked about Arthur Russell on this podcast, the the, the cellist, and and she does a whole piece on. It. I don't think I've ever seen anybody write on Arthur Russell before. So it's a great book about kind of the power of art. Empathy and, and 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 emergency, and it's it's essays going back a ways It's not not all new, but it couldn't be more timely. So um, it's, a, it's a really great book, and I'm awful awful uh, grateful to you for sending it to me. Carly. So thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are my three things. Awesome. Cool. This
0: uh, I was going to say this was one of our shorter episodes, but it's not. <laughs> an hour
2: and 40 very joe rogan of
1: us <laughs> you you can cut oh, out we're the, not uh,
0: even close to joe rogan
1: <laughs> cut out 30 minutes of me just talking in a cockney accent about doritos and-
0: <laughs> oh, we're keeping the doritos okay
1: but i do want to do the office hours and i do hope people come to them and i do want to get the slack channel started up, and people yes. sharing things and i and i will do office hours and i am going to implore <laughs> people to do it in a cockney accent uh, All, right, <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Goodbye. All right.
2: The Entrepreneurship and Art Podcast is a GH Strategic Production hosted by me, Carly Sheridan, Dan Cervantes, and George Howard. For more information and show notes, visit our website at entrepreneurshipandart.com.